Welcome to the Rock Creek Family Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Jonathan, and thank you so much for joining us today. We know that uh, there's so many other things going on, so many other things you could be listening to right now, but you have decided to listen to what God has in store for you on this podcast. So we just pray and ask that God would bless you in this sermon Thank you again for joining us. Don't forget, you are part of the Rock Creek Family Church family. Good evening, good night, but not time for bed. Just good evening. Almost time. Uh, welcome to Wednesday night. Uh, if you're here, if you're online, or if you're watching this later, uh, then you're here because you know that we're going to be getting into more of Revelation and you're excited to get into Revelation. Uh, there's so much. I can see all the notes. And it's a lot. But it's good. It's good. Uh, last week was was long, but it was very good. Um, I told Justy I took a ton of notes. So um, that, that usually means that er, there was a lot that I did not want to forget. There was a lot that was impactful and very, very good. Um, so if you're here, if you're online, if you're listening, uh, just know that there's so much more to come, so much more to get out of this wonderful book. Um, but let us start with prayer tonight and uh, just ask God to, to speak to us as he has been through this, through this book, through this study, and to uh, grow us deeper in him. Father God, we, uh, we thank you. God, we're here tonight, God, or we're online, we're listening, God. God, because we want to hear from you. God, we, we want to hear God, what you have for us tonight. God, we want to we want to grow deeper with you. We want to grow closer to you, God. And we do that by learning your word and hearing what you have to speak to us. So, God, as we dive deep tonight into Revelation, I ask that you would just speak to our hearts today, God. Reveal to us what you have in store for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Jonathan, for kicking us off, getting us going. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, Wednesday Night Bible Study. Welcome online. Welcome in line, online, offline, every line we got. Thank you for joining in and being with us. Uh, We do have a lot to go over. I am going to try to be shorter-winded than I was last Wednesday, but I've also noticed that every time I say that, I go even longer. So just a warning, um, if you're at home, go ahead and pop the popcorn, go ahead and get it ready, get it going. Um, There will be an intermission, so you can take a bathroom break, all of that good stuff. Uh, Now we'll try to go a little quick, a little more quickly through uh, Revelation chapter 5. So that is where we are headed just as fast as we can get there, Revelation chapter 5. Um, it is all about uh, the worthy Lamb of God. So that is what we're going to be talking about uh, tonight, the worthy Lamb of God. We are just getting into the throne room scene where uh, John is all of a sudden, if, if you will, kind of translated or caught up or moved quickly from this, from being on earth and and, and writing down the, the letters that Jesus once written to the, to the seven churches there in the book of Revelation. And then now all of a sudden he has moved from kind of an earthly picture and what's going on in the earth to a new vision, a new picture of what's going on in the heavenlies. Uh, what's going on in the actual throne room of the living God. So that's where we are uh, picking up. We talked about the... The rapture last week, and that was a mouthful. There was a whole lot to that. Uh, in fact, I even had to go back and watch myself just to make sure all the things that I said made somewhat sense. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I didn't do that because I can't watch myself. It's, uh, I can't do it. So, so props to all of you guys that do. Y'all are amazing. You do something that I can't do. So, so good job. But uh, Revelation chapter 5 is where we're going to begin. Um, but, man, this evening I do give God praise. I really do. And um, I don't know about you, but I have really been trying to uh, ramp up my prayer life and, um, and develop that secret walk with God, that secret time with God. In fact, um, 
in my prayer time, I have been asking, God, develop this in me. Even more so than developing the outward man and what's going on in that and outside of that. God, develop me in this secret place. Develop me just as, as a child is developed in the womb. Develop me in this secret place. Um, because he ultimately says what he shows you, what he speaks to you, what he says, what he does in the secret, that's what you get to share in, in, on the rooftops and, and out into the world. So if, if that's never developed, if your secret walk with God, and we use the word secret, not that he's trying to call Christianity a secret religion, but he's using it that there should be some closeness there between us, like a good friend is someone you can trust with a secret. And we need to be that close with God. And so I do give God praise that He is developing that, not just in me, but in lots of people. And in fact, I really believe with everything in me that the Holy Spirit is at work big time right now. I have talked to so many people who have some straight out told me and some alluded to the fact that, man, I feel stirred. My heart feels stirred. My spirit feels stirred. Even people that, that aren't necessarily going to church, but they're, they're trying to, to walk this faith thing out, or even some that's not even doing that. And they're, they're coming to me and they're saying, I am feeling something. Deep, deep down inside, I'm feeling something that uh, God is, is, is stirring my heart. So I give God praise that He is at work. And He's at work, whether we're tired and wore out or not, he's still working. Whether we're confused and, and, and lost in this sea of uncertainty, he's at work. So we just have to join in in the work that he is doing, and that's what we're going to do tonight. Revelation chapter 5. Um, I know Jonathan's already prayed, but uh, let's, let's pray again, because that's what we do, and preachers do that to to kind of catch a breath and get comfortable and settle in. So here we go. Father God, we do thank you. I thank you for being at work. God, I thank you that you have rolled up your sleeves and you have gotten ready, got, get your hands down in this world of all the things that's going on. You are in the middle of it. I know that you are. I know that you are and I don't want to miss what you're doing. Even if it means I have to lay some stuff down, even if it means I have to crucify a little bit of flesh, even if it means I've, I've got to give a little, even if it means that I have got to leave some things so that I can pick up my cross and follow you, whatever that means, whatever that takes, God, I'm all in. I'm all in and I want more of you as Jonathan has already said. We need more of you. We don't want to miss what you're doing. Because ultimately what you're doing is something huge and something big and something victorious. And I want to be on that side of life. God, I give you praise and I give you honor and I give you glory for all that you are, all that you're doing. God, I praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to get a snapshot here of um, the throne room where God will be sitting on the throne, the Christ is there, the angels are there, the uh, 24 elders are there. It's just this beautiful shot of the throne room of God. And, you know, again, I say, I know God is up to something. I've had, uh, even Eli came to me the other day and said, Dad, have you ever seen an angel? And I said, uh, well, I would have said my wife, but she wasn't sitting there at the time. So I said, uh, no, not technically, but I told him a couple of stories that involved angels that I was in. And he said, well, that's pretty cool, but Dad, I got to see one not too long ago while he was riding his bike just in our neighborhood. So I'm like, that's why we moved to that neighborhood, right? <laughs> uh, no, but um, he said that he'd seen one. And just the other day, he came to me and he said, hey, Dad, I saw another one in the, there was a cloud that was shaped like an angel. I think God's trying to talk to me about something. And uh, so you know what? God is. God is trying to talk to us. He is speaking to us. He's stirring our hearts. That's why it's so important right now to really dig in with your faith and really dig in in worship, really dig in in word, 
really dig in, get your faith affairs in order. It is so important right now. But without further ado, let's hit it. Revelation chapter 5. We're going to read it in its entirety first, then we'll go back and pick up some high points, some highlights. As usual, you could take this and run for about six hours with it, but we'll try to hit it in about three hours. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. Revelation chapter 5, starting verse 1, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open up the scroll and to loose its seals. And no one in heaven or in the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look at it. So I wept much, because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open up the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and yet you have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. What an incredible picture of the throne room of God. And in this picture, the throne room of God, you've got John who is just standing there, I'm sure in all of it all, and here he sees, of course, center stage, if you will, the throne of God, God Almighty, Yahweh Elohim, God, the preeminent one, our creator, the one who is eternally self-existent, who's in a class all by himself and is complete in his otherness, complete in his holiness, complete all by himself as if he doesn't need any of us to exist. In fact, all existence came from him. He is God and he is Lord of every other spiritual being that's going on. And John wants us to make sure that we understand that in this picture, there's a lot of spiritual things happening by a lot of spiritual entities. Okay? 
There really are. I'm not into the mysticism stuff, but I am, I am telling you that there is way more behind the scenes going on than what you are seeing right now. Stuff that is happening and things that are, have been placed in perfect order so that the next thing can happen prophetically. Um, God doing things in a way where he knows exactly what he's doing, which is why he holds that scroll in his right hand. Most people believe that that scroll is the title deed to earth. Um, it is that completeness of the will of God for the earth. Um, that he has placed it all in order, which, which also is why John notices that it's written inside, outside. What he's basically saying is, there's no more room for any other writing. You, you can't add to this. That there is, It's complete. It's whole in its writing. It has been in perfect order that God knew the end from the beginning. In fact, if you look at the beginning in Genesis, um, something that I just learned by, by listening to a Hebrew scholar talk about Genesis and the history of Genesis and how God did what he did according to the Hebrew uh, writings and, and the rabbinical traditions and things like that. And, and when you read back over and it says that he formed this ball of water into, into something that he started to make out of it and then call the land up out of that there in Genesis chapter 1, what the Hebrew really says is that he formed this ball of water in order to make the land come. And then the next step was in order to do this, and then in order to do this, and in order to do this, that God does all of these things in the order that he has preeminently set because he knows what his next step is before he's doing this step right now. That's why it's so important to be in tune with God and in tune with the Holy Spirit. It's something that you just can't magically do. It's, it's, it's a spiritual cultivation. It, it's, a, it's a walk with Him. It's a talk with Him. It's a secret place that you have to know Him. It's drawing closer to Him. It's, it's getting to know Him so closely that He doesn't have to yell at you, that you can just hear a whisper from him, It's learning how to walk with the unction of the Holy Spirit, learning how to listen with a whole nother ear. Bible says, he that has an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches, listen to that. That we have that is something that has to be developed, just as any relationship has to be developed, any marriage has to be developed. So much so, and even the more does our relationship with Jesus Christ have to be developed. Our relationship with God. It, there, are, there are certain things that are just worth doing. Even if it takes your time. Even if it takes energy. Even if it takes effort. There's certain things worth doing. And developing that relationship and coming to God. You don't have to come to God in, in perfection. Your walk with God is not perfect. But his walk with you is, and his calling on you is, and his knocking on the door of your heart is done in a perfect way. I know I'm not perfect in my prayer time with him. Can I admit that I've fallen asleep a few times whenever I finally get the house all closed down and finally get to the point where everybody else is already snoring and I look up at the clock and it's 1130 and I think, well... I, I, I'm going to bed, I'm tired, but you know what? I feel the need to pray just a little bit. And I'll open up the Bible, and I like to pray with the Bible open. It's just, I'm weird. I'm cool with that. But I like to pray with the Bible open, and I'll read a little bit and pray. And, and um, well, I've got a torn page right here. It's in Matthew. I was reading in Matthew, right? Where is it at? Right there. Got a torn page right there because I fell asleep with my hand on the page as I was praying. And when I got up, my hand had stuck <laughs> to the page. <laughs> ah, sorry. <laughs> I'm not perfect in that walk, but I'm learning that God's not looking for your perfection. He's already perfect. He's just looking for your 
love and your obedience. He's just looking for you. And as we see later, we're going to see at the beginning that he sets before us a choice every day. Blessing, cursing. He sets before us this choice. That choice is given to us because he's given us this free will to do what it is that we choose to do. And with that choice is incredible power and incredible responsibility. I'm telling you, just as John got the key to seeing all of this revelation by being in the Spirit praying no matter what situation he is in, it's that important. It's that important. This scroll that God is holding by his right hand, which obviously represents authority and righteousness and judgment and power. As he's holding this scroll in his right hand, he's holding the title deed to earth, which is, which is rolled up and sealed with seven seals. We'll talk about that in just a little bit, or at least get a glimpse of that in just a second. But let's just talk for a second. This scroll that's in his hand, this title deed, is as if he has it, but he's waiting for the perfect time, his right timing, to be able to break that seal open, break that scroll open, allow it to be broken open um, for the right reason at the right time. And someone would say, well, why don't you just go ahead and do it? Why is it sealed up? Why, what's, what's the big deal? What's... Why, why is this, this dramatic waiting? What's going on? And here's what I would say to that. You're the reason for that. Because he is giving us this time, this dispensation of grace, this, this time of grace, this season, maybe 2,000 years, 3,000 years, 2,023 years. I don't know. We've got this span of time that he is being so patient, patiently, patiently working his, his Holy Spirit and his grace and continually knocking on the door of our hearts and on the door of the, the hearts of the nation and saying, open up to me, give me this opportunity to be your God and let me show you what I can do. Now, ultimately, we know that there that time will draw close and man, I've had a lot of people say, please let it be soon. I'm tired of wearing a mask, right? Um, well, that, that may be part of it, and we have to make sure that we're really in tune with God saying that we feel that you're doing something and not just in tune with our bodies being tired of the way things are. But we got to be in tune with what God is doing, and God is holding this scroll very intently, knowing that there is a time to this. And as he is holding this up, as he's, he's got this in his grip, it's, John sees these seven seals upon this scroll that says that something will break open this, this final will of God to be done in the earth so that the title deed to earth will be taken out of the enemy's, uh, I, I wouldn't say it's in his hands because obviously it's in God's hands, but it's like he's allowing just this certain amount of time to say, when enough is enough, I'm going to come down and I'm going to, I'm going to make evil not the distraction anymore, away from my will, and we're going to complete my goal, my will, my plan for the earth from the very beginning. And we'll see that later in Revelation, how he takes the earth and he, he, he washes it clean, baptizes it by fire. And regenerates and renews and restores that earth back to where the original intent was. And then we get to be back here and we get to reign and we get to rule and we get to have joy and fun and peace and all those things. And we get to have all you can eat buffets and not gain a pound. We get to, we get to not have to take cholesterol medicine. No matter how much stuff we eat, we, 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 get to, um, we get to go skinny dipping in the crystal sea. Hey, y'all look at me crazy like that, but when I get my glorified body and all those abs, yeah, you better believe I'll be walking around with no shirt on, right? No, um, just kidding, maybe. <laughs> Impossible. Uh, but before all of that, 
John gets this picture of this authority being in his hand. Okay? And so from there, John gets this other picture or another, another picture inside this, this view of the throne that he hears with this loud voice, this strong angel. You probably picked up on that. Bible says there was a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice about the scroll. In fact, uh, if you go to verse 2, it just says, Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals? Again, very quickly, I kind of got ahead of myself. The seals are, when they're broken, that does release this, this war that is now going to be uh, fought against good and evil, basically. This, this, this first seal, in fact, the first four seals are what we commonly known as the uh, four horsemen of the apocalypse. We'll actually start going over that in chapter 6, for those of you that have not gotten there yet or haven't read ahead or, or read this before. But these seals begin the war. It begins what we call this tribulation period. And according to the book of Daniel, we believe it is probably, probably going to be around seven years of tribulation. This seven years of God saying, okay, in, uh, you know, enemy, evil, I'm drawing this to an end. Enough is enough. And so for those of us that believe in, in, this, in the rapture, it's also another final shaking and quaking of the earth as if to say, hey, I'm giving you this final chance to, to believe in me and trust in me. Grace is still going to be evident and, and efficient there during that time to cover anybody who calls on the name of, of Christ and who, who, who wants Christ to come into their life. It's still going to be evident and real even in the time of the tribulation. Now that does not mean... Uh, let's just procrastinate and wait and hope and realize, oh, well, you know, uh, if, if that's the case, I'll just wait until it gets really bad. Then I'll call on the name of the Lord. Uh, you might not want to do that because, A, you might not make it to that point. All right. There are, I know people, I, being in this business, I see it all the time. I had no idea something was going to happen. I had no idea a car wreck or an accident or cancer or Something happened. So let's just go ahead and take care of this now. And let's call on the name of the Lord now. That's why the Bible says today is salvation. Today is the time of salvation. Don't wait. If it's something that important, don't wait for that. So as these seals were to be broken open to start this war, if you want to call it that, against the enemy, against all of those that are following the enemy. The um, Bible says this strong angel. Now, there, there, that's important because John is saying this strong angel. Here he is in the presence of God, in the presence of creatures flying around, in the presence of angels, all thousands and thousands of, of angels, in the presence of, of all of these worshiping spiritual entities and things that's going on here, he notices one that stands out. Now, there's no name to him, but there's one that stands out. He says he's a strong angel. All right? Um, it, it's, it, it means mighty. He's mighty. He's valiant. He's warrior-like even. Uh, one translation even says he's battle-hardened. He's fierce. He's a fierce-looking, strong, almost like bodyguard-looking angel that is there um, right beside the throne proclaiming with a loud voice. So you get this picture of this huge angel that's got these big muscles and, and this, 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 era, this aura about him that, that says that I'm, I'm strong and I'm mighty and I'm big and I'm valiant. Don't mess with me. I'm... I'm, I'm bad to the bone, if angels have bones, right? I don't know. But here he is in this picture. And you would think if 
Maybe if there was some, if God would create something that would be strong enough to open up this seal, maybe it would be this dude who's standing beside the throne and he's proclaiming this with a loud, powerful voice. In fact, the word loud actually means shaking, a shaking, powerful voice that when he speaks, it's almost like there's a reverberation happening in the chest of John. And as he's, as he's enamored by this big angel, he's a little bit confused because this angel is big and as powerful and as valiant as he is. He's not worthy to open up the scroll. As strong as he is, he's not strong enough to break the seal. As strong as he is, he's not strong enough to go to the right hand of God and pick up this entire will of God. As strong as he is and as big as he is, he can't handle this. Well, man, if he can't do it and if God's not going to do it, then who is going to do it? What's going to happen then we get the picture. Another picture of someone coming in that is actually in very stark contrast to what he is seeing in the power, strength, physically looking of this angel. And he hears, Behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. Now, this is a little bit different picture than what we saw the first time he was here on the earth. When we talk about the Lamb, obviously we're talking about Jesus Christ, who just before his baptism, his cousin John the Baptist points him out and says, What? Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. And here is this Lamb of God that's here in the midst of the throne and in the midst of of, um, all of this worship and glory and power and splendor. Here stands the Lamb of God. Not just standing in any way, but the Bible says in a really almost like a turn of events of what you would picture Christ being right now. Verse 6 says, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as though it had been slain. What a picture. What a kind of a, a weird picture to think about Jesus now. I, when, when I think about Jesus in my mindset now, I don't think of him as standing there as though he were slain. I think of it more by what he's called by the elder when John is weeping and puts his hands in his face and tears are coming down and and he's wiping his eyes clear so that he can hopefully see this vision. An elder comes to him and puts his hand on him and says, it's okay, there's one that's worthy. And he calls him by two names. First of all, he says, the lion of the tribe of Judah is here. Now that speaks full circle of a messianic prophecy given in Genesis 49 by Jacob to his son Judah who he is praying over and naming one of the leaders of the new tribes of Israel. He's one of the 12 tribes, we all know that, Judah being one of those tribes and actually Judah being what we know of as the name means praise. It means praise. So most people believe that that it was that tribe that had a lot of the musicians and a lot of the worshipers, a lot of the praisers. The worship band, the Israeli worship band was coming out of Judah. They were kind of in charge of the worship and the praise and leading all of Israel in that. But when Jacob blesses his son Judah, he actually gives him a prophecy and says, Jacob says that in the future, the scepter and the ruler's staff will never depart from Judah. In Genesis 49 and 10, he says, until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nations shall be his. 
The obedience of the nation will be is wrapped up in that scroll to bring before God an obedient, spotless bride, complete in the will of God. It's a messianic prophecy coming full circle when the elder says, there he is, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He calls him and identifies him first by that name as if to say, don't let what you see fool you. Look deeper. Look harder. Get closer. Get a bigger, better, deeper, more intimate picture than what you're just seeing because it can be a little bit confusing at first. Next thing he calls him, he says, is the root of Jesse, or the root of David. Uh, There's actually four different passages of Scripture in the Old Testament that talk about the root of Jesse or the root of David. Basically meaning the same thing. And it is a, what he's saying is, is that he holds the key to the messianic kingdom. The kingdom of God is his Because they all knew, they had this prophecy that the Messiah would come from the lineage of David. The lineage of Jesse, same difference. And that from that lineage would come a Messiah that would be the perfect and rule as the perfect prophet, priest, and king all wrapped up into one. He says so, especially John being the Jewish man that he was, who's been looking for the seed of David to rise up. You remember, how many times did the disciples come to Jesus and say, all right, now, now is it time for you to establish the kingdom here on earth? How many scribes and Pharisees and people from all around that followed him for that very reason, thinking, here we go, here it is, this is our time to shine And then it didn't quite happen the way that they thought. And because it didn't happen the way that they thought, they got a little down, not realizing that things don't always happen the way that we think, but things always happen the way that God thinks. Because God has set this up, as we just talked about from Genesis. He sets things up in order to do this, and in order to do this, and in order to do this. That's what God does. He's all-knowing that way. He's omniscient that way. He's, and he knows how to do what he needs to do in that. So here he is, the root of David, as if the elder is saying, get ready, he's turning the key to the kingdom. Get ready. And so John thinks, wow, all right, he's got to have one really big, strong, powerful right arm to turn that big key and let's get things going. And then from there he looks and there's a lamb as though he had been slain. What a contrast. You got a picture of this strong angel. It looks like he's in an arm wrestling contest. And the next thing you know, he gets this picture of the Lamb of God that is standing there as though he were slain. I like the amplified version of this passage of Scripture. If you have an amplified Bible, you can look at it and read it there. If you don't, get get an app. It'll... It'll help you. There's two or three Bible apps out there that will help you get all kinds of, of translations. But the Amplified Version says this, And there between the throne with the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb, which is Christ, standing, bearing scars and wounds, as though it had been slain. There with seven horns, which represents complete power. And with seven eyes, which represents complete knowledge, which are the seven spirits of God who have been sent on to be on duty into all the earth. What... I believe God is kind of setting this up here because he he goes deep into the identity of Christ. One would think that this picture of the angel was powerful enough to do what needed to be done, but then we must realize that with God, power and strength comes from worthiness 
and glory, which is identity. It doesn't just come from the outward appearance. It comes from worthiness, and it comes from glory. And we know of God being worthy. Why? Not just because he does things that make him worthy. He's worthy because he is God. And from that worthiness, everything he does is full of his glory. From the power that he is, everything he does is powerful. So we look at it differently on the earth. We see somebody do something great and we say, wow, you're a great artist because you did something great. And the artist would say, yes, I've had many hours of practice to get to this point. And I've done this and I've done that and I've learned this and I've learned that and it's made me who I am. But with God, he was already there. He's the I am. He was already I am. He was already there. And so therefore from him comes everything perfect because he's perfect. From him comes everything powerful and great and wonderful and mighty. Why? Because that's who he is. He doesn't have to do these things to prove himself. He is who he is in his self-existence. And so from that, he say, yeah, the angel looks big and looks mighty and looks powerful, but don't let that deceive you because true worth is not just found in the, the outward stature and appearance. True worth is found in the amount of glory that you have in you. And here is Jesus who is standing there as the Lamb of God, as though he had been slain, still holding the scars, still bearing the scars and, and all of the, the, the beatings and the, the cross and all this thing that he took, he's still bearing them before God Almighty. This is one of the few times beginning now that we see him actually standing for we see that he goes up into heaven and the Bible says that there he is now to be seated at the right hand side of God. And he's seated in that authority and he's seated in being Christ and he's seated there knowing that no one's going to dethrone him. But then all of a sudden we see Stephen being stoned. And as Stephen is being stoned to death, Stephen looks up to the heavens and he sees Jesus. And when he sees Jesus, he sees Jesus not seated at the right hand of the Father at the time. The Bible says he sees Jesus standing up as if to say, I'm coming to get you. It's going to be okay. He's standing up as if to say, I'm now going to use my authority and my power and I'm going to put it in action and I'm going to intercede for you. And even though Stephen died if you were to read that, the Bible says he actually fell asleep. I don't know too many people who was getting rocks thrown at him just fall asleep. But the Bible says, in other words, he was at complete peace being in the identity of his mediator, his intercessor. Now this intercessor has these seven Horns, And so John gets this picture, which I think is extremely symbolic. The seven horns, we all know that horn means power. Uh, we also know that it's from the horn that they would take from the animal and use it for a shofar. And when they blew the shofar, blew the trumpet, it was in essence saying the presence of God is coming. The Spirit of God is coming. The Word of God is coming. And so here he is in all authority and in seven horns around his head. It is as if the elders are saying, I know it don't look like much right now, but you see all of those horns? He's coming. He's, he's getting things geared up. He's getting things ready. It goes on to say even the seven spirits of God. We've, we've heard, you, you hear that multiple times in the book of Revelation just as a reminder, you can go to Isaiah 11 and 2 and find the seven spirits of God that are, that are laid upon or, or resting upon and an anointing on uh, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Isaiah 11 and 2, which is kind of interesting because Isaiah 11 and 1 actually talks about the root of David or the root of Jesse. And then from there is this Messiah who has the seven spirits of God. And it says, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. 
spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel and power, knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And those we think are the seven spirits of God, not necessarily seven individual Holy Spirits floating around, but the seven characteristics that the Holy Spirit, when He rests on you, has those characteristics. So here we have this lamb standing as though he had been slain, which we just read most likely means he's, John is still seeing the scars. Now remember, John's already seen them. John had seen them happen. He had witnessed this, at least the body after the scourging. He had witnessed the fact that his body was was mutilated in a way where one translation says he was almost unrecognizable. And those of you who have seen The Passion of the Christ or you've read the, um, some of the accounts on that, you know that his body was, <clears throat> was ripped and torn from top to bottom so every bit of blood would be shed. And the scars that after even after the resurrection and, and, and Judas... Or I'm, not, I'm sorry, not Judas, but Thomas, the doubting Thomas, right, is, is saying, hey, I'll believe when I see what? Okay? And he even shows him. Jesus shows him, says, hey, look. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. And look at the side if you want to. See the scars. See the scars. John saw them there, and now here is John almost drawn to the scars and the wounds that have healed up, maybe. And he's wondering, or he's thinking, maybe like you and I are thinking, why? Why is Jesus still covered in scars? Why this picture now? Because when I think of the book of Revelation and Jesus, I think of him riding out on the white horse completely armored up and, and um, you know, looking buff and looking strong and holding up that sword and getting ready to whoop some tail end, right? Um, even though that's going to happen, I think God is saying, trying to give John a picture of who Jesus is and where his power comes from being completely obedient to the point of being perfect in the will of God. That's where his strength and his power comes from, and that's how God can trust him to break open the seals. And he knows that he can trust his son to break open these seals because his son has already been at the ultimate test, and he's trusted his son to be perfectly obedient through the cross. And so now we see behold the lamb type moment there. It's a different picture, different picture than what we see. Um, in fact, in the 1800s, there was a man by the name of Antonio Cesare, who was an Italian artist that uh, had taken the gospel of John and had taken the, this kind of picture of Jesus standing with Pontius Pilate after Pontius had already, Pilate had already kind of grilled him and, and tried to test him and see who he was. And he's wanting to set him free, but the people are, are claiming, no, it's crucifying. Well, I want him and, and all this. And so here he has this picture of the crown of thorns around him and sends him to the scourging post. And they cover him. He's almost completely naked, but yet he has just this scarlet robe and just a little loincloth, but all of that is soaked in blood and covered in blood, and they drag him before all of the people, and he says something, and in Latin it's read as this, Echo, Eke homo, Eke homo, behold the man. And that's prophetic in a way, as if to say, that's who we are as men and women we are in a state of weakness. We're in a state, of, and, and I know we think we. I know we think we're bad and strong, and I know there are times we feel ten foot tall and bulletproof. I, I get all of that, but I've been there when our strength fails, and there comes a time in everybody's life where your strength, no matter how strong you were, it's going to run out. 
And at that point in time, you must rely on a strength that is so much greater. And here is Pilate, the Roman prefect over Judea, who is saying, basically prophesying, saying, here's the man. Here's the man that you're crying for. Here he is in the state of humanity, which is why Jesus had to do what Jesus had to do. Take humanity and put it on the cross so that flesh could be crucified and covered by his blood so that he could be the perfect mediator in atonement and propitiation for our life. And that's his identity. In fact, we know of, we know that he is still bearing our sins and our iniquities. In fact, I want you to go, let's read quickly Isaiah chapter 53. We're going to start reading at verse 4. And we're going to read through verse 12. Isaiah 53 and 4, and the Bible says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for a reason. He was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people. He was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, for he has put him to grief. And when you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper. We're in his hand. The same one that reaches for the scroll and holds it. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. This is the, the, the Lamb of God. The, this is the description of the picture that Isaiah had seen of Jesus being the Lamb of God as though he were slain. Now, this is a different picture than Pontius Pilate's picture and the picture that was painted by the Italian artist in the 1800s of Jesus standing there half naked and covered in blood and weakness and tired and, and almost it seems like had been defeated. This is a picture that says he was the Lamb of God, but yet he was standing as though he were slain, basically saying he is now victorious over being slain, but yet he still bears the scars because he is still our mediator. He's still interceding for us. He is standing before God in perfect remembrance of saying, hey, when you look at your people, you have to look at your people through my scars. When you look at your people, you have to look at through the openness of my flesh. When you look at your people, look through the veil as if he is standing there between God and the people being literally 
literally the veil that is between them. He said, I've, I've opened myself up. I've allowed these scars to happen. I've allowed this, this stuff to go on so that I could bear that, that transgression, this sin and the iniquity so that they can approach you, the throne of you, God, on the throne of mercy boldly, confidently knowing that I'm interceding for them, that when they come to you, they come through my scars and they come through my love. See, you understand, Jesus says in Luke 14, 31, that no king goes to war without counting the cost. And here it is at the, at the edge of war. Here it is at the, the kind of the I would say this, the, the silent before the storm, the quiet before the storm, but in the quiet before the storm is a worship rising up. And this worship is rising up because God has counted the cost and paid the price fully to do this through his lamb, through his son, as if to say God is, is, is not taking this lightly. There's a reason why he has sealed this up He's counted the cost and paid the price for God so loved the world that he gave. That he holds the worthiness alone to hold and open this scroll because he is the price and the ransom God paid. In fact, the word worthy means weight. There's a weightiness. And here is Jesus still bearing the weight of all of our sin, all of our iniquity. He's bearing that before the throne of God Almighty. And in that bearance, there is the angels with harps and bowls. And worship as incense, which are the prayers of the saints going before the Lord. As if to say, this picture of the Lamb is not Eke Homo, where he's some weak man now. Now he's a Lamb in full strength, bearing all of our sin, all of our iniquity. Don't let it fool you. Don't let what you think you see fool you. God is still in control. And I know it is so easy to look at the mess, not just that we're in now, but just even the mess in my own life. There have been times that I literally thought, God, will I mess that up too bad? I, I guess there's nothing you can do with that. And then it's like I hear God say, well, wait a minute. If my son can face death and come back and handle that, do you think he can handle your mess? The one who became a mess because I am a mess? To crucify the mess so that from the crucifixion of the mess, the mess is covered by a more glorious mess? <laughs> so that out of that can come glory and life. Don't let your situation and how it looks or even how it feels sometimes fool you. Christ is powerful enough to bear whatever it is you need. He's got you covered. He's got you covered. From there, there is this song that is sung not just from Angels, but the Bible, John said in the Bible that every creature is singing this song in earth and below the earth and in heaven and all. They're singing this new song about how worthy is the Lamb. That's why it's so important to worship. As you worship, you're proclaiming that he is worthy enough to take your life. He's worthy enough to take your situation. Bear it in its full 
whatever strength you feel like it is. Bear it in its full weight. Carry that weight of your heavy circumstance and heavy situation. Carry the weight of your heavy mistakes and your heavy past. Carry the weight of the, the, the shadows of the demons that try to haunt you in the middle of the night. Carry the weight to the throne room of God. Also that he can lay it down at the feet of God so that God can put his glory over it and say, not your will be done, but mine. As he holds his perfect will in the scroll in his hand. This is where we're stopping for tonight. Because next week we're going to pick up with Revelation 6, which starts the first breaking of the seals. The first seal is going to be broken. We're going to talk about that. And it's going to break on into the rest of them. And that is where you're going to get into the four horsemen of the apocalypse and what they bring to the earth. But I thought it is very interesting. I, and in fact, I've done this study. Ooh, I've taught it now, I don't know, 10, 12 times. But it didn't ever really catch my attention like it has this time of just how many times before all of this is poured out on earth and all of this stuff that's going to go chaotic and crazy in our eyes and in perfect order in his eyes. But just how many times does he give us a picture of the love and the power and the grace and the mercy that he has and that his judgment in doing this comes through a judgment of righteousness and a judgment of grace. That there's no way that we could ever shake our fist or our, our finger at God and say, how dare you when you try to see God through the picture of his son who is standing there as though he were slain for you, for me. That not only is God seeing us through His Son Christ, we also get to see God through His Son Christ. And what strength and what power it takes to hold all of my messes up to the throne of mercy and lay it on His throne. What strength does he have? Even though it doesn't look like it at first, what strength does it take to bear all of those iniquities and all of those scars and all of those transgressions? Not just mine, and but yours and yours and yours and yours and yours and yours. And to everyone that would call on his name to be saved. What power and strength is that? power and a strength that is not measured by stature in the physical sense but can only be measured by worthiness and that's why the song says verse 12 worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Worthy. Worthy is Him. I encourage you. Worship. That's why it's so important. Worship. Get alone with God and just worship Him. Some of you may have never done that before. Just do so. Get in tune with God through Christ. Don't try to bypass it. Go through Him. That's what He did this for. And then in turn, God will work in your life through Christ. Get this picture. Before we get into the mess that Revelation looks like it is, get this picture. 
that he has done all of this through Christ and the love that he has for us. Let's pray. Father God, we need you. God, I recognize how much I need you. I recognize how much this world needs you. But I also give you glory and praise because you are the worthy Lamb of God who has taken my sin, who has taken my iniquities and my transgressions and my, my mistakes and my past and my present and my future and bore it all and carried it all to the throne of the Heavenly Father. I pray, God, that you would give me a fresh glimpse of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, keep stirring. Keep stirring up the hearts of men and women. I know you're calling them home. I know you are calling people into your church. I know you're calling people into the, into the bridal suite to wait upon you. I know that you are. I know that you are calling bits and pieces of your body to come back. I proclaim that there is going to be salvation springing up as the Holy Spirit rains down to ripen the harvest. Father, I pray that you call us with a powerful, strong sound to come to you. God, you have something so incredible in store for us, and we don't want to miss it. Father, give us this picture of you through your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in the name of that son we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a good Wednesday. We'll hopefully see you Sunday. Thank you so much for listening to the Rock Creek Family Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Jonathan again, and we are so thankful and grateful for you to be here and join us. We ask that you would make sure that you subscribe so that you can catch other podcasts as they come out. Also, if you would rate it and comment, let us know how God has blessed you through this podcast. We love you. We thank you. Have a blessed day.